0: statement in Acts 26. In the 18th verse of that chapter, he too affirmed that there are two great considerations. There is darkness on the one hand and there is light on the other. Satan is the power behind the darkness. God is the power behind the light. And in fact, Christ Jesus came into the world to turn men from the power of darkness unto the power of light. Immediately one might wonder, what is being told to us as we think about God being light? In light of that passage we just noted in Acts 26, at least one thought behind it seems to be this. Have you ever been in a position in, where, in which it was dark? It was too dark to see well. It was too dark to perceive that which was before you. No doubt we each have at least at some point, perhaps many times, been in that position, and in so doing, we might remember what we recognize. You have to feel around to find what's in front of you. In fact, there could be danger lurking ahead. If there's a step and you know not that it's there, one could fall down the steps. If there is perhaps a step up and you're not aware it's there, one could again fall upon one's face. If there is some other danger there, One could, in fact, appreciate the harm that might come to the other matter of one's person. At any rate, we see that there's danger where there's darkness. And doesn't that help us appreciate that with God being light, where God is, He's able to remove the uncertainty. He is, in fact, by His Word, removes the danger spiritually that lurks ahead. Those wiles of the devil spoken of in Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10 of which the fiery darts of his are therein mentioned, God is able to equip one so that those do not pose the threat and the danger that they otherwise possess. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. You might perhaps appreciate furthermore in Deuteronomy 32 4. Even Moses in the ancient days before his death testified to the fact that God is truth, and hence God is able to reveal to us that truth that though you and I would never know it otherwise, we can see it through the nature of his word and the power of his truth. Oh, indeed, God is light, and he does not in fact provide darkness. He provides certainty, knowledge, and appreciation of those other things in life. In speaking about matters like that, could we perhaps bring to mind 1 John five thirteen, another verse in this same book where John, the inspired writer, penned these words. These things are written to you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you might have life in His name. The knowledge then that comes along with eternal salvation. John wrote that you and I can know it. Do you see with me how that God dispels the mystery that lay ahead? Can you and I know then that we are saved? John says we can. He wrote in fact in other places in that book. If we abide in Him, if we continue in Him, and if we remain in Him, then the love of God dwells in us and we with Him. First John 2 verse 24. Thus, God is light, no darkness at all in Him. In the second place, you might notice that we can look even more thoroughly at this thought. God is, in fact, the source of light. This is a somewhat rich consideration, isn't it? We've just noted how vital and how essential light is for us, how dependent we are upon it. Isn't it still told to us and to our kids in school that Well over 70% of all the information that they intake into their body is by virtue of sight in one way or another. The importance of our eyes and the ability that they have of transmitting information to our brain. Consider with me for a moment that God is the source of light. We can turn to the opening chapter in the Bible. In Genesis 1 verse 3, the opening creative act of God. God said, let there be light. And there was light. Again, Genesis 1, verse 3. The first thing that God did to turn that void that had been there, the chaotic character of what was descriptive of earth and its environs, the first thing to bring it to order, to present some matter of semblance to it, was to make light in the arena. Let there be light. We notice that three days later, on the fourth of God's creative days of activity, He then made two lights, a lesser light to rule the night and a greater light to rule the day. Notice again, the presentation of light in the nature of God's creation. It's a beautiful thing to behold. As you notice with me that nature of light, quickly turn with me to its spiritual significance. God not only is the source of physical light, He is also the source of spiritual light. When you and I desire that spiritual means by which we can avoid the danger ahead and we can present ourselves in a place where things are well with your soul and mine, the source of light that will make that possible is only through the God of heaven. That quickly allows us to appreciate that any supposed approach to that matter that does not rely upon the God of heaven is a lie. It is a falsehood and it is a deception. Second Thessalonians 2, verses 11 and 12 still remind us of the tragedy of men who subscribe to the deceptions of the world and who because of that are eternally lost. May you and I in wisdom never allow it to be so with us, but may we allow us to reside on the fact that God is light and He is the source of light. One of the verses that I've asked you to consider in light of that second point, is this one. Consider for a moment the unfolding nature of the light spiritual that God provides. In the very outset of the Bible, that light was somewhat dim, wasn't it? The best that we had was that text in Genesis 3.15, that wasn't it there said to the serpent, that the seed of the woman would bruise thy head, thou shalt bruise his heel. You and I appreciate the greatness of that prophecy and how that in time it came to represent the greatness of the coming of the Messiah, the anointed one of God through whom the human family can enjoy redemption and remission of sin. But notice in that early stage of human history, that prophecy was the fullness of all that was had. Throughout the centuries, God unfolded more of it. He illuminated the mind of man in regard to what was coming. He shed light on the subject, if you will. When we come to Isaiah 53, the prophecy of the suffering servant, and we come to texts such as Zechariah 6, verses 10 through 12, we learn more and more and more. And suddenly, onto the scene burst the Son of God when He was born of Mary in Bethlehem of Judea in Matthew chapter 1. Notice the unfolding character of God's revelation. You and I now have all of it. We don't have to worry about there being a part that hasn't yet been revealed. For Peter reminded us that God has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. 2 Peter 1 verse 3. In light of those thoughts, notice God is the source of light spiritually as well. Where would you and I be without Him? How would we ever know about the glorious goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ without His provision of it and His revelation of it? Those matters perhaps bring us to a third lesson. So far, our emphasis has been these, that God is light and that He is the source of light. But notice the role that the Son plays in this. Jesus is said to be the light of the world. The text that Brother Adam read in our hearing a bit earlier this morning, Jesus is the light of the world. As we build up to that passage in that text, consider some of the ways that the unfolding character is presented. The closing book in the Old Testament, Malachi, in chapter 4 verse 2, reminded us that the Son of Righteousness shall burst upon the scene. And when that Son of Righteousness comes, He will provide the light. That word Son was spelled S-U-N. It was a prophecy of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, the coming of the Son... And notice as we quickly see the father of John the Baptist in Luke 1, verses 78 through 80, we see even on that occasion the greatness of the light that would be brought to the human family. Men groped in darkness and in sin and iniquity, and suddenly the sun came and shed forth the greatness of that light that we still enjoy. When Jesus was but a babe, And that aged Simeon took him in his arms in Luke 2, verses 25 to 32. We notice that one of the things he asserted in the 32nd verse was, This babe is the light to lighten the Gentiles. Notice the light. He was there in the arms of Simeon at that time. No wonder later Jesus himself directly said in John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. We each can testify to the darkness seen in this world. The tabloid magazines testify to it. The nightly news speaks of it. We see it in the lives of many that you and I perhaps know personally. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. There is no light to be found other than him. All the opportunities and all the uh, things that are set before us otherwise, if they aren't based upon Him, are at best but a reflection of Him if they are light at all. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If this world wants to solve her problems, and if nations wish to find the pathway and the course that leads to betterment for itself and all of its citizens, it must be based on a pursuit of the light of the world. No other place will it be found. And notice that Jesus also affirm that that personally has great significance as well. Note again the reading, I am the light of the world. He, note the personal nature, I should apply that to myself and you should apply it to yourself as well. With regard to the issues, the problems, the things in my life that are troublesome, the solution is to be found in the pursuit of the light of the world." All the efforts that I might make to my own benefit and based upon my own abilities are but filthy rags compared to what he has to offer. Notice, he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness but shall have the light of the world. If you and I wish to then enter the year 2010 with a sense and a desire and a pursuit of that which will be for our eternal betterment, And note that eternal betterment should begin with the emphasis here. Then that must be based on the Son, namely the Christ. Oh, how marvelous it is to think about Jesus. Perhaps you and I can think about individuals who do not base their life on Him. They seem to have little interest in Him. They, in fact, seem to give no credence and no emphasis at all to the Holy Scriptures, to the life of the Savior, what was done for them. Might we ask... How much tranquility do they have in their spirit? How much solace and comfort do they enjoy in their day? And let us not be fooled by the facade of earthly riches or by the pretense of that which is otherwise not eternal in its destiny. Jesus still affirmed with all the power within him and should in fact resonate with you and me as well. Did he not say, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, Where neither moth nor rusteth corrupt, for thieves do not break through nor steal. In those famous words of Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21. This morning, Jesus is the light of the world. He stated so, and so many passages help to affirm it. Question for all of us that we shall certainly need to ask is, in what way are we pursuing that light? Are you and I reflecting His light? We certainly don't have any light of our own. Are you and I daily, constantly, powerfully, desirously reflecting His light? We are told we should do so in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 and in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 11. And thus, as we will return in a moment and ask that question a little later, might we already plant the seed? Are we reflecting like mirrors as we ought to be the light of the Savior? On to our next lesson. God's Word, what role does it play in association with light? In the 119th Psalm, that longest chapter in the Old Testament, the psalmist in verse 105 made this statement, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The Word of God, a light unto my path and a light to your path. Oh, as so often men grope in darkness, uncertain as to which way to go, and certainly not aware of the great reward lying ahead for the saints of God. They miss the mark entirely because they pay no attention to the prospect and to the teaching of the Word of God. Thy Word, the psalmist said, is a lamp unto my feet. We began the lesson this morning by reminding ourselves of what happens when you're in the dark. Have you been in a place... Where you needed light, maybe it was at night, and the batteries in the flashlight become too weak to shine. Suddenly, you're in a bad position. You're in need to get somewhere, but now there's no light for direction. Think how lovely it is to have a backup flashlight. You can quickly turn on and make the journey for the rest of the way with safety. The psalmist said in regard to the way of our feet and the way we should go, thy word is a lamp. It's a light to that course. It shows us the proper, the safe, the way that's not dangerous. As you think about the Word of God and its presentation in that regard, no wonder the Lord said, "Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth." John seventeen seventeen. Wouldn't it said also by the Psalmist in Psalm nineteen eight that God's commandment is pure, enlightening the eyes? Oh with the interest that we should have in the Word of God, and that our world might have that interest. For if they had that interest, then they could follow the light that God has set forth, the light that the sun has presented. When our world leaders thus choose not to follow the sacred text, when they think that the documents of men are more wise, and they think the pursuits of humanity are more noble and more proper, they make a grand mistake for themselves and for those who are citizens of their country. The Word of God should be the lamp to your life and to mine. And when that be the case, then you and I as a people will understand the privileges, the promises, and the prospects that it makes available. As you think about that matter with me, in Hebrews 4 verse 12, we have this constant reminder. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Question, what thing that man has ever been able to devise has that kind of power that can discern to the very separation between spirit and soul? And yet this book can do it. We need to be knowledgeable of it, greatly knowledgeable of it. Can you and I share with others the gospel plan of salvation? Can we tell them the order of worship and what constitutes truthful and proper worship? We should be able to do so with book, chapter, and verse. We ought to be able to share forth the great testimony of some high points in the Scriptures as regard to daily living for Christ. Can we do that? Perhaps as the year 2010 quickly approaches us, might we set before ourselves the joy and beauty of becoming more knowledgeable of this light that shall lighten our way and those who by our example can be lightened also thereby. These four lessons maybe take us very nicely to the fifth one, because especially the fourth one relates so well to it. One of the things that we have already seen today is that distinction presented between light on the one hand and darkness on the other. That text of Acts 26, 18 set that before us. But aren't you and I aware of that from our own experience? For instance, we know that when there is a room that is dark, then we are in the presence of darkness. But as soon as the light is turned on, then there is no more darkness. We see that the light dispels darkness. The light opposes darkness. Where there is light, there cannot be the darkness. That shows us in one sense about the nature of our lives. We are not in a position of being able to straddle a fence spiritually. Either we are for a God or we are against Him. Jesus said in Matthew 12 verse 30, You either scatter abroad or you're with me. There is no middle ground. And thus we fool ourselves greatly when we think that we can in fact play the fiddle for the devil through the week and gather with the saints on Wednesdays or on Sunday and that that's all right. We can't be in two orchestras at the same time. We either are, in fact, on the Lord's side, and we enjoy the blessings and the power of that, or we are in the devil's camp. We find, in fact, that very idea is behind this matter of light versus darkness. You might also notice a passage or two I ask you to consider. One of the opening statements that Jesus made in His earthly ministry is found in John chapter 3. I would invite you to notice with me as we read verses 18 through 21 in John chapter 3, and listen to how this very idea is set forth so clearly. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Hear the Lord. On that occasion set before the human family, men so often have loved darkness, despite the fact that light has come into the world. Men need not follow darkness. They don't have to, but many of them want to. They choose to. They prefer that walk in the dastardly deeds of devilishness. They prefer to walk in that way that's apart from the love and the majesty of God. Notice the Lord said why. Their deeds were evil. Oh, if only men would appreciate the truth of God and the light that it brings. It does lead to better life. And it leads to the only life with promise hereafter. As you think with me about the nature of light opposing darkness, I would ask you to notice one of the words that the Lord used in verse 20. It is the word reproved. That word means to convict, to convince, or to reprove. And you'll notice that in that instance it says, lest his deeds should be reproved. One of the reasons, of course, that so many have little interest in the things of truth and light is that this book reproves them. It shouts loudly, you can't live like that, and please God. It shouts overwhelmingly that you are a sinner and you must repent. You cannot continue to live that way. And as we each know, more often than not, people are resistant to change. I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. No one can tell me otherwise. Friend, it's true that God will allow every person to make his own decision, but notice, he says your deeds are evil if you're not following in the light, if you're not walking after the truth, and rest assured that when that great day of judgment does occur, you shall give account for the deeds done in the body, and then you will hear that awful sentence that you'll regret for all eternity. That's the truth that God reveals. Men, of course, would do well to heed it. But isn't it still the case that the light opposes the darkness? You and I then should live as lights, which takes us to our sixth lesson. Children of light, that very phrase is found more than once in the sacred text. I might ask you to notice how that in 1 John 1 verse 7, we might well begin that discussion in words like this. There we are reminded of this rather impressive statement. If any man will walk in the light, he hath fellowship, of course, with God. He has forgiveness of his sins. He's cleansed from all sin. And we notice then that those who walk in the light, following the pathway of truth, pursuing the thing of the source of light, which is God and His Son, those individuals enjoy forgiveness of sin. As we learned two weeks ago today in our lesson, that word forgiveness simply involves to send away. You no longer bear the guilt of those sins. But in addition to that thought, consider these commandments that you and I are given. In John 12 verse 36, to those of his day, Jesus said, The light has come to you. Walk as children of light while the light is with you. Sadly, many of his own day rejected the Savior, had no interest in Him, and chose thus to walk in darkness. For you and me today, the word is no different. We, in fact, read in First Thessalonians 5, verse 5, the direct commandment to all of us, walk as children of light. That's unmistakable, isn't it? All of us, if we have a desire to please God, must not be children of the night. We must be children of the day. And we must walk in the light. All those matters challenge us to appreciate then the obedience and the transformation that occurs as we walk as children of light. In Ephesians 5a, we are thus commanded, Be not children of the night, but be children of the day and walk as children of light. Am I walking that way and are you? That's a question that only you and I individually can answer for ourselves. But the answer is, of course, exceedingly vital. We are told to be like a city set on a hill. We're told to, in fact, be like that candle that's not put under a bushel. We're told to be that light that gives light to all about it. Is my life described in that fashion? And is your life described in that fashion? I would submit that one of the greatest lessons we can learn about light would be this last one. We have seen the source to be God We have learned about the fact that the Word of God is the presentation of light and that we should, of course, exceedingly follow it. We've seen the presentation that Jesus is the light of the world. We have most recently learned that light opposes darkness and that we must be children of light. Now comes the personal application to me and to you. What do others see in me? And what do they see in you? Do they see darkness or do they see light? It's only one or the other. Again, as we've learned, there is no middle ground or medium. Do they see the reflection of the Son of God in you? Or do they see something much different? We might note again one of those statements Paul made to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 11. And in a sense, repeated in chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. Perhaps in that latter case, we notice this is what, the inspired apostle wrote. He said, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, that if one died, then we're all dead. And he died for all, that they which live should not live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them, and rose again. Are you thus living for Christ? Is your life a manifestation of the truth that he has revealed? That question is powerful, and it's also rather challenging. What do others then see in me? Do they see the reverence and love for God and his truth? Then they're seeing the light if that's the case. But if they see anything else, a life that perhaps is hypocritical and claims one thing but lives a different way, then I am in fact shedding forth to them darkness. I'm showing that which in fact would more likely turn them away from the truth and lead them to it. Perhaps in another way we can then ask, am I a faithful Christian and are you a faithful one? You see, God has sent forth His Son as the light. We often notice how that many animals and insects are attracted to the light. Sadly, many human beings, it seems, are turned away from the light of God. Isn't that interesting? They don't want to follow it. They rebel against it, but God wants so much for us to come to the light. Tonight, have you Today, have you come to it already? Have you ever rendered initial obedience to the gospel call of invitation? The light, remember, has come. And in John 1, verses 5 and following, we said there, men rejected it. They rebelled against it. Don't fall into that category. For there's no salvation outside the Savior, Acts 4, verse 12. This morning, if we could be of assistance to you in your obedience to the gospel of Christ, understand that it is not the proclamation of our elders, nor is it my idea... Our desire is to simply say, what did Jesus say you must do to be saved? And this is what he said. He said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Mark sixteen sixteen. He said, yea, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Luke chapter 13, verse 3. He furthermore affirmed in Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33, that except ye confess, I will deny you. Putting all those things together, we appreciate this. You need to believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Believe in this fact that He is the light. Repent, then, of the sins in your life, those things that are transgressive of the commandments of God. Confess, then, the name of Jesus. As you believe it with all your heart, confess it so that others can hear. And finally, be buried in baptism for the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. Today, the baptismal waters behind me are ready. They're warm and prepared. If you need to render obedience, we'd be happy to assist you with your confession and baptism. If you've become a Christian at some former time, you have known once about the light, but maybe you've now begun to follow the darkness. Maybe it wasn't intentional. You just wandered away because of apathy, indifference, laziness, or otherwise. It's time to come back to the light. The light is still shining brightly. Come back to it. If we can pray on your behalf for forgiveness of sins, let us know in what way we can help to do that while together we stand and while we sing.